This is, make no mistake, this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. They have this vote tattooed on them. This is a scar. Today was a big day, but it is just one step in this process, an important step. We still have a lot of work to do to get this signed into law. And I know that our friends over in the Senate are eager to get to work. Freedom is not a gift from government. Freedom is a gift from God. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, happy Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May, uh, on this Friday in early May. Uh, Welcome to the podcast today. A lot going on. Uh, Today on the podcast, we have a U.S. Air Force veteran. Uh, Talked to her a little while ago, and you don't want to miss that. That's coming up in our next segment. A remarkable story about uh, just a courageous woman who has overcome a lot of adversity, um, sexual assault, and rape, and uh, where she's gotten to where she is. So you don't want to miss that in our next segment. I do just want to go over the top news of the day because a Great jobs report came out this morning, and uh, meaning Americans are getting back to work. The job growth uh, rebounded sharply in April. The unemployment rate dropped to a near 10-year low to 4.4%, signs of tightening uh, of the labor market that could seal the case for an interest rate increase uh, could come as early as next month in June. So we'll keep our eyes uh, on that. Uh, Non-farm payrolls jumped 211,000 jobs last month, um, well above the monthly average of 185,000. 211,000 jobs created. You also have the unemployment rate dropping uh, to 4.4%. Uh, job gains driven by a surge in hiring uh, in the leisure and hospitality sector, as well as business and professional services. Um, the drop of one-tenth of a percentage point in the unemployment rate uh, took it to its lowest level since May 2007. Uh, the decline reflected both an increase in hiring and people leaving the labor force. Now, the labor participation rate, which uh, before Trump came into office under Obama, was the lowest uh, since the 1970s, 95 million Americans out of the labor force. Well, uh, in April, the labor force participation rate, the share of working age Americans who were employed or at least looking for a job, um, it uh, fell a uh, fell a tenth of a percent um, from an 11-month high, but uh, still, that's got to be an area that has to be improved. It was a, a great jobs report overall. Uh, manufacturing jobs, as we have told you, have increased. Um, you know, about 49,000 manufacturing jobs uh, created since January. Of course, a lot more promised under um, from companies like Carrier and. Uh, Apple now creating a manufacturing fund, and Ford and General Motors, the auto industry promising to create and save American jobs, um, things that we have been covering in the uh, Big League Jobs uh, ongoing segment on this program. Big League! 
And uh, so you have the manufacturing jobs coming back. Uh, the economy, by the way, just so you know, because uh, 211,000 jobs created in April, the economy needs to create uh, 75,000 to 100,000 jobs a month just to keep up with the growth of the working age population. Uh, job growth averaged 178,000 per month in the first quarter of 2017. So now you're starting to see uh, increases in jobs. Um, construction payrolls, construction jobs on its way back, uh, rising 5,000 uh, last month. Manufacturing employment advanced by 6,000 jobs uh, just in April. Uh, leisure and hospitality payrolls jumped 55,000 in April. And professional and business services payrolls up by 39,000. Um, government payrolls up 17,000, which, you know, just means bigger government, uh, which is a problem and hopefully will be, uh, tackled. Um, and then some other stats for you in terms of a closer look on the manufacturing under President Trump. Um, so in February, you had 22,000 manufacturing jobs created in March, 13,000 and now in April, 6,000, um, and February to April, I included 6% of all private sector jobs additions. Uh, private sector job gains from February to April, April um, total 493,000. 73.2% of that service producing, the other goods producing. So private sector is growing. And see, this is really good news um, for America and really good news uh, for the Trump administration. Uh, the unemployment rate, the lowest in 10 years. Uh, the labor participation rate uh, will uh, come back. So um, you're seeing, as we talked yesterday, optimism, especially over this tax reform plan. And now the numbers are starting uh, to come in and the economy is growing. So um, that's a positive. Obviously, what needs to happen now is health care needs to be repealed and replaced and tax reform needs to be implemented. You get those two big key things and now we're looking at tremendous gro uh, job growth. I mean, remember, you had a uh, an anemic growth of 2.1% of GDP under Obama. Uh, that's on average, by the way, and it's somewhere lower than 2%. We're hoping that we could get back to a 3% or 4% increase, um, th 3 or 4% of GDP um, economic growth uh, under Trump. And we get to that, you're going to see people back to work. You're going to see an economy that's booming. Uh, but that's got to start with fulfilling promises of repealing and replacing health care, getting rid of the Obamacare taxes and the mandate, and then obviously uh, tackling tax reform. Um, on health care, now that we're one day since the House voted uh, on the American Health Care Act and the amendment to the act, the MacArthur Amendment, uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare, um, you know, the reaction, again, it's very uh, positive for uh, for Republicans. It is a win. Uh, the report, listen, uh, the, uh, the fact is it's going to the Senate now. The bill isn't, listen, I haven't been enamored, it, enamored with it since the beginning, but, you know, you look at this. It's a great, tremendous first step uh, that's going to put us in a better situation uh, healthcare-wise. You know, if you like your doctor, keep your doctor. It was a lie. Uh, people were bumped off their plans. Premium increases throughout the country, 116% Arizona, 38% Oklahoma, and other places. Uh, deductibles, sky high. Um, so 
this is not sustainable. We know that. We went to very um, strenuous detail on yesterday's podcast. I'm not going to do that again today. Um, but listen, in terms of the future, the Senate's going to take charge of this. Um, now, Rand Paul, who's a medical doctor uh, from Kentucky, uh, and he said, listen, this isn't the best plan, but we can work with it. It's better than the first one. Uh, so what I like to see is a Congress that can actually get work done. Um, it took four and a half months since uh, uh, for the Obamacare bill to go from the House to finish in the Senate. So keeping that in mind, you know, how are we going to, um, to move faster on this because people need relief? I mean, you look at states like Tennessee and a complete death spiral. 16 counties are without exchange insurers next year. 40,000 Americans plus are affected. And Tennessee is the first state with areas with zero insurers in 2018. Iowa, just yesterday or two days ago, it was announced that 94 or 99 counties will not have insurance at all. There are, there's zero choice. Um, United Healthcare is, uh, in 2017... They're only on exchanges in three states. The year before, in 2016, they were in 34 states. And between 25 and, uh, 2015 and 2016, United Healthcare lost over a billion dollars on Obamacare. There was absolutely no incentive for insurance companies to offer insurance on the Obamacare exchanges. So what we're hearing today from people like Bernie Sanders, the hypocrite socialist who owns three houses— is saying that, oh, Americans are going to die. And Elizabeth Warren is saying the same thing. Pocahontas! And, you know, in reality, people are not going to die, okay? Let's, we have to realize that um, when you have, okay, uh, 24 million Americans scored by the CBO from the original American Health Care Act would be bump, bumped off insurance. Well, a lot of those people don't want health insurance because they would prefer, as they did, buy the, uh, get the penalty for Obamacare and pay the tax than they would buying the insurance under, under the exchange that has poor quality health care and the costs are too high. They can't afford it. They would rather pay a penalty. So there are a lot of people that don't want the health insurance. And then you also have a situation where the prices are just so high there's no choice and Americans uh, literally cannot go anywhere else but these crappy Obamacare exchanges. Um, and they're not even offered in a lot of cases in states. So they, there's no competition across state lines. They can't use their own money. That's why we need um, health savings accounts. So listen, we know Obamacare is a complete disaster. It failed. We're not going to now do a one-size-fit-all, uh, single-payer system. It doesn't work that way because you want to see Americans die. Well, you're going to have people that are gonna, going to have to wait for two months just to get surgery on a broken leg. Um, that's the situation in Canada. And they have much less people than we do. We have 318 million people uh, in our country. Uh, so... You look at this system, it needs to be reformed. I just hope that they do it in smaller pieces of legislation and that we don't try to continue the one-size-fit-all system. It doesn't work that way, and that's why I've been critical uh, from this from the beginning. But Republicans 
have inherited a healthcare system that is a one size fit all uh, socialist type of system, and we cannot go down that road. So it's imperative upon uh, the Senate to shape this so that it increases competition. Uh, eventually, in phase two, we'll, we'll get health savings accounts, etc. Uh, good job by President Trump negotiating this plan to involve uh, all sides of, and all facets of this party. Uh, that includes moderates and includes uh, conservatives as well. Uh, but, you know, still, there's a lot to be done on this, and uh, it's going to take a while. But we're moving in the right direction on that, for sure, and a great jobs report. So very, um, very encouraging today as we go into the weekend. Um, a couple of other items before the interview with our uh, U.S. Air Force veteran that we have on today, Grace Jones. Um 14 people were indicted in a heroin ring on Long Island and in New York City today. Now, remember, Sanctuary City, the MS-13 gang who has been now targeted and has been rounded up in on Long Island. Uh, they're responsible for at least a dozen cases uh, where they've used uh, machetes and other type MS-13-style attacks to murder innocent Americans. Uh, these are criminal illegal aliens coming from El Salvador up to the U.S.-Mexico border. And they sell heroin, which is not produced in the U.S., opioids that are coming through the U.S.-Mexico border. Today, authorities on Long Island uh, and New York City announced that 14 people operated a heroin ring in Nassau County on Long Island and in Brooklyn and Queens, New York. The 15-month investigation revealed that narcotics, the narcotics ring distributed more than 23,000 doses of heroin weekly and sold about $170,000 worth of the drug per week. This is what federal, state, and local officials said uh, today at a news conference. Investigators used search warrants and found two firearms, ammunition, and about $12,000 in cash, plus another thousand of prepackaged packs of heroin and loose heroin, which, when packaged, would have been more than 2,000 additional bags of heroin that is going to our kids. Of the 14 people indicted, one is currently in custody and awaiting arraignment. The other is, uh, there is another person that is yet to be caught, according to officials. Twelve others were arrested as part of, of the investigation, and what they're doing is you're selling heroin in body shops and in barber shops in uh, in New York, and this is something that goes on across the country. But I firmly believe that without the Trump administration and the Justice Department under Attorney General Jeff Sessions, we would not have these drug busts and these gang members being targeted. Um, the DA Madeline Singus, uh, Nassau County DA. Uh, said, uh, we are coming after those who sell heroin. And it's about time. Now, uh, this was a long investigation, uh, but this this is what's going on in our communities, and I feel I have to tell you that. Uh, and this is why there needs to be enforcement of immigration laws. This is why we need to do extreme vetting and make sure we know who's coming into our country and the intentions of that are. And the drug supply is coming from Mexico, and it's coming from Latin America. We need to target the supply, and we need to go after, really, deal with the demand as well. 
So there needs to be a joint effort, and this is not a political thing. This is just um, sad what's going on in our communities. Meanwhile, militarily, uh, the Pentagon believes that the, uh, that the Iranians and North Korea has a military connection uh, with the strikes that are being targeted. Um, Iran attempted to launch a cruise missile from a midget submarine earlier this week that we talked about. Pentagon officials saw more evidence of North Korean influence in, in uh, Iran in the Islamic Republic with intelligence reports saying that the submarine was based on a Pyongyang design, the same type that sank a South Korean warship in 2010. According to U.S. defense officials, Iran was attempting to launch um, a cruise missile underwater for the first time, but the launch failed, and what they're saying is that North Korea and Iran have been sharing expertise when it comes to their rogue missile programs. Iran tested a ballistic, uh, ballistic missile in late January. The Pentagon said that it was based on a North Korean design. And last summer, Iran conducted another missile launch similar to a North Korean uh, missile, the Musadan, which is the most advanced missile Pyongyang has successfully tested to date. Defense analysts are saying that North Korea's uh, missile, the Tapidong missile, looks almost identical to Iran's Shabab missile. Um, folks, we have an enemy out there, uh, radical Islamists that are targeting the U.S., and now they're becoming advanced with military technology and, and military missiles. Um, this is why we need to operate from peace through strength. This is why uh, when President Trump says we will fight back, but at the same time, I'll meet with you and we'll negotiate and we'll discuss this. Um, that's much better than the Obama administration and President Obama who tries to strike a deal and does strike a deal with Iran to allow them to have freedom to basically build nuclear weapons and hide from us for 30 days. We send billions of dollars to the largest state sponsor of terror that funds terrorism in Iran. We now are learning from this Pentagon report that those billions of dollars that Obama sent to Iran was used to build missiles, possibly, in North Korea. That those billions of dollars was used to fund terrorism, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS, and go to Syria. Um, the last eight years did tremendous damage on our country. And it's now time that we, uh, that we have to act tough. Um, and we have to act tough, but at the same time, it's going to take proper diplomacy. Meaning, it's in the art of the deal. It is... In the fact that, yes, we have to build up our military and we have to, and this is what we talk about uh, a little bit in our interview towards the end with uh, Grace Jones, U.S. Air Force veteran, and we have to build up our dilapidated military equipment. We need to build a wall. We need to have surveillance. We have to increase our cyber security and our counter cyber warfare, and we have to have um we have to have tightened security around the Pentagon to make sure that there are no more leaking coming out of there that's harming our national security. And ultimately, we have to be able to thwart these attempts from North Korea and Iran, those that hate us, from coming here. And that means shutting our borders. And that also means that we are going to sanction them and we're going to have to, at some point, uh, 
denuclearize North Korea, and that's going to be uh, with China. And this is why President Trump's relationship that uh, has, um, you know, has formed with Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, is so crucial. And this is why they can take the deficit, the $332 billion budget deficit. They can keep it, the trade deficit rather, uh, if they're able to denuclearize North Korea and say, we're not going to provide coal to you anymore. We're going to shut down your oil reserves. And unless Kim Jong-un and North Korea come to their senses, uh, it's gonna it's gonna take a coalition of the U.S. and China uh, to make sure that North Korea um, does not uh, proliferate more nuclear weapons and reach the U.S. with a nuke. Um, but we have um, tremendous challenges here, and this is why it all goes back to listen. Uh, we have to we really have to come together as a country and support uh, the president, uh, which is so important. But. Um, you know, very alarming what's going on, uh, foreign policy, and frankly, uh, it's it's time to, to change from the past eight years that have really destroyed this country. Um, in our next segment, coming up, uh, we interview U.S. Air Force veteran Grace Jones. Uh, she served our country for nine years and uh, overcame a tremendous amount of adversity. Uh, she's a rape survivor, uh, and we talked to her about sexual assault legislation and get very deep into that. A very emotional interview coming up on the Neil A. Crucial Show podcast. You really do not want to miss that. And then later on, after the interview, I have a very strong First Amendment message. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. The Neil A. Crucial Show podcast on this Cinco de Mayo. It's time to dream big. Neil A. Crusoe tells you what you need to know on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American 
Exciting things on NileCruzo.com. Supporting our vets, getting people back to work, and uncovering corruption and lunacy. Log on to NileCruzo.com. Now joining us on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast today, very honored to have her on the program. We met via Instagram, and uh, she has a very uh, very good page, uh, pro-military. She served in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, God bless her. She joins us now. Young Jones uh, also goes by Grace, so we'll call her Grace during the interview. But uh, Grace, thank you so much for taking the time to call in. You're coming from uh, Austin, Texas. Yes. Hello, Neil. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you so much for your service um, and for serving our country with such uh, dignity and honor. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have a very interesting story. We've, um, you know, talked on the phone uh, before I had you on. And, um, you know, you've gone through a lot of adversity in your life, but you're such a positive person and your Instagram uh, is very and you know, your social media platform which, you know, you have, a, you have more followers than I do. You have um, <laughs> such a positive messaging to people, and it seems like you've been inspiring people as well. Tell me, you know, what your um, motivation for that is. Uh, my motivation, um, honestly, is just with everything that I've been through, I guess, I, I guess the older you get, I'm just beginning to understand, like, the value of life and with everything that I've been through, it's it's like it can't get worse, you know? And, and if it does, there's always the next day. Like, your life doesn't stop. So you just have to – you just, you just have to keep going. And sometimes it's hard to, you know, find motivation, but that's when you actually have to really deep, deep within you and and realize how far you've come and that if you can go, overcome – your past obstacles, then you're definitely going to overcome the present and the future obstacle that you're about to face. Do people contact you online and, and ask you for advice? I know you have a YouTube channel as well. Yes, they do. Um, um, about a couple, like last year, you know, uh, with, with the stuff that I've been through, um, I actually, I, I actually start talking about it when I reactivated my social media account regarding like sexual assault and stuff. And a lot of women have reached out to me uh, through Instagram, through YouTube, through email, through Facebook, and they told me their story. Um, and the only reason I started sharing it is because I do understand how often it happens. And it's so sad that it happens so often and predators get away with it all the time. And because I've been on their side before where, you know, I thought it was my fault and where I kept my mouth shut for 12 years I know that feeling and I don't want any woman or men or even children for that matter to ever feel like it was their fault because that's just like a common symptom that victims go through thinking that's their fault and I don't want anyone to feel like they're alone in this I appreciate you coming on to talk about this because a lot of people um, feel very uncomfortable talking about this type of topic or um, you know they uh, I guess they suppress their their feelings and it seems to be a common thing um, yeah. You know, it's not something we really talk about much in society, but um, if you don't mind, I I'd like to ask you about your um, personal experience with that because you really overcame all of this and you've made, you've made great strides. And, um, and I know you're currently dealing with, uh, with deliberations uh, in terms of uh, personally and, and in, uh, you know, legal uh, stuff as well. Um, mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing what your story is? 
Of course I don't. Um, so where do I begin? So when I was around 18 or 19, I don't remember, um, I was sexually molested by my father. And I know that a lot of people that are hearing this are probably going to be like, oh, she was 18, 19. She should have known better. Well, you know, I grew up, I'm Korean. So I grew up in a very, very strict traditional home. My, you know, my dad used to be a pastor. And, you know, when you live in such a traditional, strict Christian family, like you do as you're told, like you don't question them, you just do it. So, you know, one thing led to another, my dad actually molested me. And, you know, it's, you know, the typical Christian answer is, oh, yeah, the devil took over him. Um, obviously, now I know better. But at that time, I actually thought the devil took over my dad. Mm-hmm. But um, so I kept my mouth shut for 12 years, because I was told to keep my mouth shut. And I wasn't Your mother did, right? Yes, she did. Um, because it was all about like, family's name. And, you know, it's, uh, it was <clears throat> a typical Christian stuff. And, and I, I kept my mouth shut for around, about 12 years. And I never got help. Um, and I, I never knew how much it affected me up until I think 2015 or 2014 when I switched over from uh, nursing to psychology when I was going to school. Um, so what happened was, is that when you're told all your life that it's your fault and if you were never born, this and that would have never happened. Your dad would have never done that if you were a good girl, which I was actually a very, very, very good girl growing up. Um, That really messes with your mind. So anyway, so when I switched over to psychology, um, that's when I started uh, to experience a lot of things that I didn't want to face. So I ended up doing a paper on sexual assault because I knew one thing was to overcome, to overcome something that you need to overcome, you need to do research. So I, so I ended up doing a lot of like scientific research on sexual assault, what goes through the mind of predators and the victims, the common symptoms and how often it happens. And sure enough, after writing so many darn papers, I began to realize, holy crap, what my dad did to me was not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my dad's just a sick person. Um, so, and then I obviously cried a lot, but one of my darkest secrets that I kept for the longest time that my husband didn't even know about was I was actually addicted to painkillers for, for since 2010. Um, and I d- didn't understand why I was addicted to what I was addicted to. So fast forwarding, you know, 20, was it, it was 2016, you know, I overcame my addiction. I overcame what my dad did to me. I made a video like around June 16th of 2016 for my addiction class. And I explained why I was addicted to the stuff I was addicted to and why and how I finally realized that what my dad did to me was not my fault. And for the first time in my entire life, I was finally at peace and I would never do anything to ever jeopardize my jeopardize my happiness because I know what it feels like. And I specifically said in this video, if I'm so afraid that if something bad were to happen to me again, would I ever run back to my addictions again? I wasn't sure, but I pray that I wouldn't. Four days later, I went out with this girl that was supposed to be my best friend. Long story short, she betrayed me. And that night, I got drugged and raped. Um, And, you know, that was that was really hard, um, obviously. And um and I did everything that I knew I was supposed to do. And with the support of my husband, I um, 
I, I went and I, I went and I reported, um, I went to the hospital, got my forensic done, talked to the police officer and, and gave him every, and gave them my statement. And the thing is, is that, you know, that night, that, that very day that it happened, you know, I didn't even know what happened. That's the thing. Like when you have to relive that moment the very next day, because you're trying to give your report to the, to the police officer, it is literally the one of the hardest things someone can do um and i did that and i did everything in my power to put this guy behind bars and to find out you know because i told you know i told my friends and i told my husband like i know for a fact i was drugged because the feeling that i felt i never felt before and i know for a fact that mother that person drugged me and um and to find out like he actually went he's actually a criminal and he went to jail for narcotics. Right. Um and so but, you're you finding know... you're finding loopholes in this legal system uh in the fact that you I mean a lot of people kind of they take a shower right afterwards they hide the evidence because yes. they they blame themselves. You yes. had already overcome a situation and knew better. And you know it sounds like your husband uh, I and I feel for you and I feel for him and it seems like he has been by your side and supported you and made sure that you went to the hospital but giving and after reliving that the you're finding loopholes in the legal system that this guy is still a free man <laughs> is that, yeah, he is that is. true yes it's true um it, it, it's true um they actually you know when you and i talk i told you the evidence they had and they had a, a video footage of him you know i wasn't walking he picked me up and I was on, like, I don't know how I was cared, but he carried me into the hotel and there's a video food just proving that, 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 that I was very out of it. Um, and so anyways, he got away with it because he said I didn't do it. But there's and evidence said, showing that he had, he was carrying you into the hotel. Yeah. So, and, and, and was that brought up in trial? No, it didn't even make it there. Um, so what happened is that I, uh, a detective was assigned to me mm-hmm. and, um, she went and, you know, obviously did her work and co- collected evidence and she brought it to, I guess, uh, the prosecutor to see if they could bring it to trial. But she said that there was a lack of evidence. And I said, how is there a lack of evidence? I have text messages. I have pictures. I have video footage. And, you know, obviously when I went to the hospital and to safe place, and to my, you know, obviously I was seeing a therapist at that time. You know, there's so much evidence that's pointing to the fact that, oh, that, that 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 did happen, especially with him being a criminal and him, you know, being in jail for narcotics. So I thought we had a really good case, but they said that the reason it didn't even go through trial is because he said I did not rape her. Which, so yeah, I, you can't, I mean, how could someone say that, but there's evidence that, that the accident did happen, that he carried you to the hotel room. Now, was it that they couldn't prove that the intercourse happened? What, what, why can no. he get away with it? He, um, so that's the thing. Um, he, 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 he said, cause I, cause I, I don't think I told you this before, but I, uh, I woke up, you know, like on and off with him doing stuff and. And I couldn't move and I told him to stop and he would stop. But then the next minute I wake up again, he would do it again. Um, and then it's not, I didn't know that he raped me up until I had to give my, um, I had to give my, uh, my side to officer snow when I had to relive every single moment uh, of what happened that night. Um, and you know, it, he, 
so so he admits that he did stuff, but he said that I stopped when she asked me to stop and I didn't touch her again. But the fact is that no, he did. He did many, 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 many times. He did it without and, your original consent. Yeah. None. None. And 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 I just and you know, at first, you know, he has a son, uh, a kid, and, and I don't wanna ever ever accuse someone of doing something when I wasn't a hundred percent. So even, even, you know, even if I went through that with my dad, this was completely different and I didn't know how to process it. The first thing I did when I got home was take a shower because I felt disgusting and I didn't know what happened. I was very distraught. I, I had no idea what happened. Um, all I knew is that some things I didn't want to be done to me was done to me because I do remember specific scenario that's, you know, obviously still plays in mind like every day. Um, but, uh, but you know, the DNA lab, like I told you last time in Austin was corrupt. So they said that it would take up to like two years for anything to come back. And I asked my detective, so I'm pretty damn sure that he used a condom. So if his DNA like isn't in me, what is that like how are we going to handle this and they said well that means that he gets away with it and i said according to my research anything you know rape is considered anything that penetrates a woman or a man's body without their consent right you know it could be a pencil for crying out loud um and they said you know the the legislation around sexual assault is uh very uh it's very bad in america and i said well you know what there should be a big ass banner that says welcome to america land of the free land where you can actually raise someone and get away with it and sure enough there's so many predators that are walking around the street and victims have to live with this forever yeah i mean i don't understand how and thank you so i mean listen you're so brave to to <laughs> speak about this and and help others who are going through the situation uh, grace jones who's uh, an air force veteran um served our country with uh, such dignity and um you know to go through something like this for anyone to go through it um i can't fathom that and um there are I, I looked up some legislation because i know we were talking about well you know there are so many loopholes and i guess this gets brought up i mean really around colleges and you know we had a conversation too because what's interesting about you is that um, you know, this uh, obviously clearly from the description that you give, you were raped I mean, there's no question about it. You don't give consent. That's a rape. I don't even, I don't even consider that sexual assault. I mean, yeah. sexual assault to me is groping someone against their wishes, right? And actually doing yeah. the act. Um, rape is when you physically penetrate someone, um, or, you know, and it could be done by either a man or a female. Um, that's rape when you do it without consent. So, you know, that is um, – that line should not be blurred. There should be a clear distinction. Uh, what happens on sexual uh, – on college campuses um, is that you have um, both cases of sexual assault that are reported that the male is accused of being guilty before innocent where he's not given mm -hmm. a fair trial because there are um, campuses that – uh, that have their own court system that actually don't go to the to the real you know legal system that they have their own yeah. way of litigating things and then you have other cases where um, you know uh, men are um, uh, are guilty and uh, and get off um, because they protect them whether they be an athlete or, or whatnot so there are a lot of you know I bring up college campuses because there's always when sexual assault is brought up there are always talk about that but you know there are, when we were talking you said listen, I clearly was not aware my, of my surroundings. There are some people that just feel guilty about having sex with somebody and accuse someone of sexual assault. This yeah. is not that. And you were very <laughs> adamant in, in making that distinction because um, people just hear sexual assault, oh, that person's guilty. 
um, in the eyes of pop culture and public opinion. But that's not what you're saying. No, um, no, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you're 100 percent right. You know, like I told you, um, you know, when I was there first, we had to go through SARC training and basically it teaches you like what rape is, what sexual assault is. And they give you like all the rundown of it. And I was I was the one to actually say, you know, when a girl and a guy is at a party and they're both and they're both highly intoxicated and the girl says yes and the guy is like, okay, well, she wants to have sex with me too. And they have sex and next morning the girl wakes up and she's like, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. She can't say that that's rape. And I actually got in trouble for saying that because really? they're like, no, yeah. Because you're like, well, she was intoxicated. I'm like, this guy is not, a, this, this man is not a mind reader. If she says yes, he's not going to be like, oh, that means no. You know what I'm saying? Right. Let me so get I my mean, notary, you know, and get this, yeah. uh, get a notarized consent form. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, and, and I think that's what upsets me too, because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, so many girls make up stories about them being raped. And I want to like, be like, you know what, there's a small percentage, but majority of people, I'm telling you, Neil, like from one point where my dad did that to me and I kept my mouth shut for 12 years and I didn't talk about it to a single soul. And then to what happened with this stranger, it's like. It's like I told my husband sometimes I wish I never reported this guy because it was so f-ing hard. It was it was so hard. Like people who report what has happened to them, you know, it's probably one of the hardest things. So I've been at both sides. I've been at one point where I kept my mouth shut because I was told to keep my mouth shut. Down, shut. And I've been at one point where I went and did everything that I could the very next day because, you know, my husband's like, you know, I, I think you got raped. I didn't even know. I wasn't even aware that I was raped because I was right. so confused um, until, you know, like I said, uh, when I made that report is when I realized, like, holy shit, like I got raped. But um, no. So, I mean, so I'm not the type of person or I don't think anyone should go around saying someone raped me because you're you because you messed up, you know, because I think that's so wrong. Because number one, you're ruining someone's life by accusing someone for raping them. And that is wrong. And number two, you know, what about the women and the men that are actually victims? Mm-hmm. That's not fair for us. No, it's not at all. And, um, you know, people and then this is where, you know, when you look at this past election and you have, you know, one side being the left's very critical of um, Donald Trump because of words he said, but the actions from, you know, Bill Clinton, who has been accused of sexual assault <laughs> and of rape, um, you know, that were, that was covered up, but let's be honest about was covered up, and Hillary Clinton did engage in covering uh, the Lewinsky scandal up and in covering other scandals mm-hmm. up, Juanita Broderick and Paula Jones and the settlement cases that were made. Um, so you have, you know, one side that, okay, maybe said things that shouldn't, have been said, although they shouldn't have really never been public, uh, that being in Trump's, you know, Access Hollywood conversation, uh, that tape, and then, you know, one side whose actions speak very loudly, but, you know, she's a champion of of women's rights, and she's going to stand by women, but in reality, um, the actions are not put into fruition, and there's really a lot of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, um, I mean, I don't understand, I don't, like I don't understand people still won't see it. <laughs> right. And- like the 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 Clintons, they've. I mean, there's been proofs that came out regarding like sexual assault and stuff, and yet people are looking at President Trump and being like, "Oh, he's sexist." I'm like, "No, he's not." Right. Look and- at the Clinton Foundation. <laughs> 
Yes, and the money that she's taken from oppressive nations like Saudi Arabia and Iran and Qatar, they, women are not allowed to even leave their house without the no. male supervision. But she's taken a lot of money and given them State Department access. Um, I'm curious yeah. because you're, you're a veteran and you are a Trump supporter. And um, mm -hmm. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are, given your experience. What did you think when you heard the Access Hollywood tape? My gosh, honestly, I'm not even going to lie to you. I um, I was never very involved with politics because I just thought it was very, it was just, I had so much more other things going on in my life. But when I heard about, um, and I actually heard it through my husband about the whole Trump thing and, and how how he said, you know, grab the woman by the and number one, you know, that was totally out of context because when I first heard that too, I was like, whoa, why did he say that? And number two, when did he say that? And that happened a long time ago. 2005. Um, it wasn't, yep. yeah, it wasn't even supposed to be recorded. And also I told you this last time we were on the phone, how it was actually um, edited out of a conversation. Basically what Trump was, he was talking to a couple of people and he said, yeah, you know, these men think that they could go and grab women by the but whoever edit that part out just gave Access Hollywood grab one by the do you really want that as your next president? And I feel like that is hilarious. Like, I think, you know, and then the woman's march, I mean, come on. Like, I know it was done peacefully, but the lady who was in charge of it, wasn't she? Um, she oh, was a Palestinian terrorist. Yes. Uh, I yes! I don't know her name off the top of my head. I could you know yeah. quickly look that up. But yeah, she was a uh, a terrorist that came into this country <laughs> and that was uh, was somehow granted citizenship in our country. Mm -hmm. Let me, I'll pull up the story. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you told me and I'm curious and I love to hear the tape. And uh, I know you said you'd send it uh, to me. You have evidence that shows that Trump, that that tape, that Access Hollywood tape, which we know, by the way, NBC sat on for years that they saved it. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I don't know what the legality is, but he should have never been recorded. He, he was wearing a microphone. He should have been conscious of that. But that should have never been taped. I mean, me personally, I delete, you know, old archived footage and none of that. I mean, all of that stuff is, you know, um, stuff that isn't used for TV. So if I'm not going to use it, why am I saving it? And that should have never been recorded in the first place. Then it was saved purposely for a mm -hmm. point to bring down Trump. And then, you know, 2017, right days before a debate, look at the, the timing of it. They leak it to a, another media outlet, which was, yeah. you know, uh, why would they leak it to the Washington Post? Because the NBC didn't want to take responsibility for it. And the Washington Post leaked it, which is a clear, you know, political hit job, uh, which that should have never even come to light. But – um, I get your point, but you're saying that that was an edited tape, that it wasn't the raw. It was footage. fabricated. Yeah. And I, like I said, I will look for it again and I will send it to you. Um, I just been so busy. I haven't gotten around to it, but no, it was, it was fabricated. And regardless if it was fabricated or not, isn't that um, people, we all say stupid that we don't mean. Like I've said some really not so great stuff. Um, in my life because I was mm -hmm. mad or because, but that doesn't make me a bad person. We get yeah. mad sometimes and we spit things out. And for people to even hold that against him is ridiculous. And, and I even wrote, I told you this, but I wrote like two, um, I, it was, uh, for email. I wrote emails to president Trump, like, you know, talk, asking him about like his thoughts on the legislation around sexual assault, because I really believe that, you know, um, 
that President Trump is currently making a good difference for America. And I just really hope that um, that he makes some sort of a change to the, the legislation around sexual assault. But I was also told, um, and I read an article, that how Trump was thinking about making the laws more it would be harder for people to accuse someone of sexually assaulting someone. So I don't know. We shall see how this goes. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think you could really believe everything you read. And I just. Oh wanna, yeah, no. Let no. me just ask you though about the tape again. How did how did your husband get a hold of the of the tape of the raw footage that um, you know you're saying that shows that President Trump um, that his words were edited? Well, he does. Um, he's he never ever pays attention to your typical media like you know cnn even fox news or anything he does his own research and i'm not going to go into details of how he does it but he goes he 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 does his own own research and he he finds a lot of things before it even goes into media you know for instance like wikileaks um Mm -hmm. and other information that people thought of people like us like oh they're conspiracy theories but like five years later to find out it's on the news Right, or the emails yeah. that show that you know Hillary rigged the pri- or that the DNC rigged the primary for Hillary, and they gave debate questions, all that, all that stuff that they mm-hmm. didn't deny. Um, yeah, and you know, in a way, and listen, I don't know. There are some obviously allegations about uh, Russia's possible involvement with WikiLeaks. I still believe that Julian Assange did a service in showing and revealing because now President Trump wasn't stupid enough because we know if President Trump did anything that was bad. We would know about it because uh, they have a concerted effort to destroy him, and it continues to go on. But listen, with Hillary, we know that she illegally used a private email server, the Clinton Foundation activities, the rigging the primary, the lying about being under sniper fire in Bosnia, the Benghazi lies. I could go on Mm -hmm. and on. We know all that to be true, and the WikiLeaks, I think, did a service in showing these are the emails that she covered up. Remember, she bleach-bit her server that she shouldn't Mm -hmm. even have had. Um, you know, so I think that that did a service and helped Americans come up with, um, a decision and to show how, you know, corrupt she is. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, it, 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 it literally baffles me when people are saying that Hillary should have been our president. I'm like, it literally baffles me, like baffles me. Like you said, right now the media is out there to get trump like literally out there like sharks to get trump and not just the Um, media but establishment politicians and i think that even establishment republicans because they're very concerned about the drain the swamp pledge that they will do that they didn't even vote for trump Uh, if trump does anything like paul ryan i think he will flip with the wind he will he will he will make sure that he separates himself yeah but Okay, so no, I I definitely agree. Uh, the only reason I bring up social media mm-hmm. is because, um, you know, social media like with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and even Reddit for that matter, you know, it's straight up hardcore liberals that are are controlling these oh, yes. uh, social media. And I think it's so sad because a lot of people listen to social media and they look at what Facebook tells them to believe it and they believe in it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I mean, I, I uh, actually, I haven't been on Facebook for a while, but I just activated my account. And, and I saw this thing on Facebook, how Facebook says that since there are so many fake news out there, we will provide you with the news. 
Right. So they're going to tell us. So, you know, this is the problem that I have with um, – and I'll get back onto legislation in a moment. And um, just in a side grace, by the way, I did uh, look up real quick the Palestinian terrorist. Um, her name is uh, Rosmia Ode. Uh, she was oh, yeah. she was granted uh, citizenship. Uh, she comes from Palestine, a terrorist there, committed terrorist attacks, served time there. But, of course, she came into our country and because we didn't do a proper background check – that she was granted citizenship and then starts running the Women's March against Trump. So absolutely disgusting. And listen— I feel like it was planned. I don't think she somehow sneaked in here. I honest to God think it was planned by specific people. Um, well, listen, Obama's think- policies let people come into our country in and, he wanted, yeah. and he wanted votes. And this is what they did. And there is illegal voting. You can't deny that. Um, so she, uh, is, I guess, was sent back. Um, to Palestine, but um, listen, uh, and the State Department is uh, just yesterday announced that they're going to uh, look into social media um, to determine, you know, people's people's um, wishes because, like President Trump said, you can't determine what's in someone's heart. You know, you could look at uh, documentation if they provide it, but how do you know what their intentions are? Are they here mm-hmm. to destroy our country? And that it was immigration policies, but uh, just back onto the media because I, I want to keep it a little focused. Um, and then we'll get, get into legislation. Um, you know, I find it very hypocritical that, you know, we're supposed to have First Amendment rights and that um, <laughs> people are, are supposed to have their opinions. But then you have Facebook like you brought up and they're trying to get into the media space and Twitter. And then you have, you know, the, the mainstream media outlets who feel it is there that they control the news that 30 minutes a night, which is nothing if you are really a, a news junkie like I am. You kind of pay attention to all sources and to all outlets and different reporters and and like your husband does, I do a lot of my own personal research and don't trust everything mm-hmm. that I hear. Um, you have to be a skeptic. And uh, the problem with the media today is that there are people that uh, – journalists that feel that it is their duty to tell you what you need to know instead of just giving the news um, and just putting it out there and letting people decide for themselves. Yeah. You would agree. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, now, you know, on legislation, and we're talking to Grace Jones. She's a uh, U.S. Air Force veteran. Um, and, you know, given your uh, past with, um, you know, sexual assault and, and rape, I know you're very adamant to, to looking into legislation and ways, and you brought up um, President Trump and how he would, um, you know, how he would legislate uh, and govern yeah. on sexual assault. Um, you know, I've heard similar things. I really don't know where he stands on it. Uh, I don't think he's really been ta- – uh, talked about it much um but i looked there are two bills that i have in front of me um you have there's a service members and veterans empowerment and support act of 2017 which has been uh proposed on april 4th um and it is an act that uh covers service members and veterans um uh let's see cyber harassment and sexual in nature after battery of sexual in nature uh expansion of uh, availability for members of the armed forces, uh, whether they were harassed on duty or, or post-duty. So that is an act that uh, I'm curious about and want to reach out to politicians, you know, given your story. And then there's another piece of legislation, Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse Act of 2017. Mm-hmm. These are just bills, proposals that are uh, both in the yeah. Senate. So, I mean, listen, what do you think should be done in terms of um, legislation with sexual assault? Man, you know, Neil, I've been thinking about that for 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 quite some time, and you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a very difficult 
it's it's very difficult because how do you prove that someone raped you unless there's like a hundred witnesses around you, which rapists typically don't rape someone around hundred thousands of people. Um, I just wish that they would go out and number one, <clears throat> and I could only speak for Austin because that's where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, in Austin, rape, sexual assault happens a lot more than I ever thought. <laughs> in Austin, there's only two detectives for sexual for these matters. Oh. Only two detectives. Two detectives. <laughs> and there's, I think, uh, just one victim crisis lady, and she basically takes care of your emotional needs and stuff like that. Right. Number one, they need to have more people, like, for the sexual assault part of um, part of the law. Like, yeah. I asked them, like, what is taking so long? And they said... They have so many damn cases that it's taking a long time. Number two, send more people there so we could gather more evidence. For instance, the hotel I stayed at, um, the hotel where I was at, um, you know, I, I thought that the detective and other people would go over there and gather the evidence, right? Because more evidence, the better. And the thing, Neil, is that I reported him the very next day. Because I wasn't sure of anything that happened. So, like I said, it's a serious accusation. I wanted to make sure that that um, I knew for a fact. I mean, I knew for a fact he molested me. I did not know he raped me until that time when I made a report. But right when I knew that, I, I thought that the detective and other people would go over to the hotel and gather as much evidence as possible. But they didn't do that. And I asked them, like, well, that's evidence. There's not yeah. there's not anything as too much evidence. So why didn't you guys do that? And she said, because it doesn't matter. But now that I do more research, I feel like it's because there wasn't enough people. I mean, right. come on. So you there's don't think... two detectives for, so... this, for, for, for this category. Like, there's only two detectives, as many people that get raped and sexually assaulted here in Austin. So it sounds like to me that the detectives aren't out to get you personally. It's just they have too much work to handle. It's like immigration. They can't can't process enough people. Um, Nope, they cannot. So that's what it sounds like. So uh, they need more detectives in Austin. I don't know what it is across the country, but I'm I'm curious to find out. I'll I'll look it up. We'll we'll continue uh, talking about this. Um, So they need more people to process it. What was the – interview process like or the investigation i guess the investigation with the latest case is still ongoing oh it's no it um right now it's closed but it's gonna open back up if when my forensic results come out and they work to see some dna that doesn't belong to me how long was the investigation oh geez louise it it was a total of wait it's june july august september october november December, Jen. It was like February of this year. Okay. So it was like eight months. But Neil, let me tell you, it feels like it's been like two years. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> because it's every terrible. day. Um, and you and didn't I, know this person because oftentimes sexual assault and rape cases it comes from someone you know. This wasn't someone you knew, it was it? No, oh, he was a complete stranger. Um, and some friends now, abandoned you. Yeah, she uh, she she left me. Um, so what happened was, um, you know, I, I never really ever go out anymore, mm-hmm. but you know, it was on father's day and it was at a domain 
And the domain is basically like an outlet mall. And there's probably just a few bars. So it was a Father's Day. There was like not that many people out. Um, and I haven't been out in Texas for like four years. That was the first time I've ever been out to a bar in four years. Wow. And this girl that I went to, you know, um, you know, she used to be a, a really, really good friend. And, you know, I was always there for her. Um, so I never once imagined that someone would ever betray me or never have my back. So, you know, she's single. I'm married. I'm not interested in guys, but I felt like the third wheel. I understood that she wanted to spend time talking to guys, but at the same time, I'm like, come on. Like, if you're going to go out with me. a friend, yeah. I mean, that's supposed to be, you know, you time to talk with a friend. I mean, I go out with friends and I'm not, you know, gawking at girls. I want to hang out with my friend <laughs> that I haven't seen in, in however long. You know, right? So I was just like, normal, okay, right? so yeah. So finally, we went to a bar and that's where we met the guy. And he was with a girl and which I thought was their, was his sisters this entire time. But they, I ended up finding out they were like best friends. But finally I had a girl to talk to. Yeah. She had a guy to talk to. And I, you know, I kind of let my guard down. Now, Neil, let me remind you when you're in the military, you party hard, you drink till like three, four o'clock in the morning, you wake up the next few hours. You're like, what happened that night? You know, I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I made mistakes, um, but I've never been. And, and come on, in the Air Force, like you part with the Marines. Right, right. It's like Top <laughs> Gun, right? Yeah, like things are really wild and crazy, you know. But that's but the so way you. That's the way you deal with things, and you're with people who um, who have the, um, I guess, have the respect for our country that when they're, you know, okay, you gotta let loose every once in a while. But at the same regard, when it's time to work and it's time for action, it's they're all business. Yeah. No. So I mean. So, so I just never imagined in a million years that this would ever happen to me. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, to find and, and the guy that did this to me, he he knew I was married because he came up to me and asked me if I was married. And I said, yes, I'm happily married. And the funny thing is, is that we probably all four of us took a couple of pictures and we had a great old time. Um, but he was mainly with her, the, like my girlfriend or my now my ex-girlfriend was with her this entire like with the entire time. And, and the thing, Neil, is that I don't think I told you last time, she knew I was at a hotel. Now, at the domain, there's three hotels at the domain. And the bar we were at to that hotel is probably like, let's see, a drive is a minute drive. She knew I was at a hotel. I didn't know she knew I was at a hotel until she told me. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's my birthday. My friends and I have a hotel reserved. If you and your friend, he was referring to me, want to go back. And she said, no, um, our friend's going to come pick us up. So we'll pass. So she knew I was at a hotel and she left me and she lied about leaving me. And I thought she had my back. A couple of my close friends, my husband all said, no, she's lying about something. And sure enough, you know, when the video footage came out and I was playing detective myself, I lined up all the pictures and text messages. I'm like, holy shit, that bitch left me. And then she had the audacity to go and tell people about what happened to me the very, like, like two days later. It's uh, anyways, yes. but, um, yeah. So I mean, I guess. yeah. It just, it, honestly, a terrible friend, and uh, it's so horrible that this happened. Um, what do you think, personally, because you inspire a lot of people. I mean, I see the reaction um, that you get on social media from, you know, a lot of, there are a, loving, a lot of loving people, and, you know, I don't mm -hmm. think Trump supporters get a lot of credit um, for, 
you know, the respect that they have and the love that they have for this country. Um, you've gotten a lot of uh, great feedback. I'm sure you've gotten negative things as well. We all have on social <laughs> media. But yeah. for the most part, it seems like you're getting positive feedback. Um, what do people, you know, give me an example of someone that has maybe felt a little better about their situation because of your, um, you know, your uh, courageous um, activity to speak about this and so openly? Um, well, I've, I've had, like I said, uh, a couple of people that reached out to me and, you know, number one, they said, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story. You know, I thought that I was the only one alone in this. And, you know, like that breaks my heart when I hear that because I always thought I was alone in this too. Um, Even though you were just, married and had someone by your side, you felt alone. Yeah, no, see, that's the thing. And, and I, like I told you before, you know, you know, when my dad did this to me when I was 18, now I'm 32. Um, so for like 12 years, like I said, I felt alone, like my husband and a couple of my close friends knew about what happened to me. But Neil, like when that happens to you, you feel so alone, especially when you think it's your fault. So when this happened with the stranger, um, I still felt alone because I was like, nobody understands me. And no matter, you know, that saying, you know how when doctors know that smoking is bad for you, you just still smoke. Yeah, that always baffled it, me. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I, I um. You know, I, I have my degree in psychology. I did numerous papers on sexual assault. I know everything about sexual assault. Yeah. And then when this happened to me, everything that I know kind of went out the window because it's hard. Like, and, and that's what and, and, and that's what breaks my heart because I know how it feels to keep your mouth shut. I know how it feels to be in denial. I know how it feels when people blame it on you. I know that feeling. You know, at the same time, I know the feeling of you know, understanding everything about sexual assault, being raped, and still feeling alone, you know, except this time, Neil, I not only am I my own person, and, and I and I know so much about sexual assault, but I had like my best friend, my husband, like I had a good support system. But what's really sad is that there's so many people out there that don't have the support system, and that ruins their lives, yeah. you know, and and they get addicted to like drugs, alcohol, you know, or, or, or to food, you know, and they're unhappy and they don't know why they're so unhappy. And it all goes down to, you know, if they were sexually assaulted or raped, it goes down to what happened to them that day. It's just that it's hard to face it. It's, it's, I feel like sometimes it's easier to be in denial than to face it, you know, and, and that's the reason why I shared my story. And that's the reason why I continuously share my story, because I want them to know that if you're ever like, you know, like molested, sexual assaulted, raped, you know, it's not your fault, you know, and, yeah. and like, there, there, there's so much help out there. Grace, I think you're doing a tremendous service for people, um, you know, who are going through this that that don't feel like they have a voice. Um, uh, thanks for, you know, opening up and, and sharing all this. Um, as a psychologist and as someone who uh, has gone through this, how would you – what would you propose to a member of Congress um, in terms of creating legislation? What needs, what needs to be done? What provisions should be made? Well, number one, have – hire more to have more detectives to work on cases because it takes a lot of courage for victims to come forward and tell them what happened it takes a lot of courage so all the like at least the, what they can do is hire more detectives to work on this case hire more people to work on sexual assault cases rape cases hire more people to gather evidence because there's nothing there's there's not there's 
there's there can never be too many evidence against a predator. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's hard to prove that someone raped you. It, it is hard um, because they, unfortunately, there are that percent or two that do lie about stuff like right. that. But honestly, like, I don't, you know, I, I asked my detective, actually, you know, is there any way we could do a lie detector on it? Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> what was his response? She said that it or doesn't work response. that way. Oh, okay. Um, why doesn't it work that way? Like, I would ask, uh, why not? Because because I guess some people know how to manipulate it. Um, they know how to... Um, they they obviously know how to lie under a lie detector test. Um, oh. I've actually heard several people that, yeah. And, and maybe they need to come up with a better technology, but they need to come up yeah, with I was, something. I was because... going to say, I mean, we're, we're the United States of America. We should be able to come up with, with an invention and, but you that know should what, prove Neil? that. But you know what, Neil? At the end of the day, it's not a priority to them. It's not. If it was a priority, they would have figured it out by now. But it's not their priority. And you know what? Justice is priority, a... isn't it? Isn't justice what their job yes. is, what law enforcement's job is? And exactly. listen, you know I'm pro-law law enforcement. I love them. They're not – I don't think they're given the tools that they need to go in no. and, and prosecute and get justice. No, they don't. They don't. They, they, they don't. I have a couple of friends that – our cops that, that are in the law enforcement and they tell me the same thing. They're like, we want to do something about this, but we can't because we're not we're not allowed to and we're not given the right tools to do it. Sounds like bureaucracy to me. Yeah. It just to me it's and, and you know, I, I told my detective this too and, and you know, I, I wasn't recording while I said this and mm-hmm. I said, Don't hold this against me But, you know, I said I said, These people who make these laws probably were never raped so they don't understand how it feels to be raped and maybe that's why the legislation around sexual assault and rape is so flimsy yeah because they don't understand well i think that you know i think a lot of this kind of relates to immigration in the way that you know we have criminal illegal aliens coming into our country that are ms-13 gang members and you're seeing an uptick in prosecution now because the trump administration saying hey listen we know who these gangbusters are. We know that they're on Long Island, New York. We know that they're in Los Angeles. We know what communities they're in, in Chicago. And we're going to find them, and we're going to lock them up, and we're going to deport them. And, um, you know, there needs to be enforcement of law, um, especially with sexual harassment and rape. Uh, like um, with sexual assault cases, um, victims of, of immigration or, you know, those in sanctuary cities are afraid to speak up because they know that the criminal legal alien is just going to be granted sanctuary in those um, cities and then they're back and they're going to retaliate. So I think that there is like a correlation of that and that you could compare, you know, the what angel moms go through um, and, you know, their um, after their uh, kids are, um, you know, are viciously uh, murdered by criminal illegal aliens who don't belong here, I could, I guess, make that comparison with victims of um, sexual assault. I mean, you feel helpless. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the country, the bureaucracy in Washington, those that are creating laws, like you said, they don't understand the plight of those that are going through it. They think that they are um, providing um, – uh, literally, they think they're providing sanctuary or some sort of relief um, to people, but they're protecting the wrong people. And yeah. like, like always, government screws things up. Yeah. You know, and this is what I always say. And, and I don't understand, you know, 
why this is so wrong when I always say, you know, like, hashtag make America great again, you know, take care of us first. Right. Take care of us first. Stop trying to take care of people who don't belong here. I mean, I I, want to say this, you know, there's probably a small percentage of illegal aliens that come to America for a better life, a small percentage. But let's be honest, majority of them. They don't need to be here. They're here for drugs. They come here, rape people, kill people. They make America a really bad country to live in. And instead of kicking those people out, what are they doing? They're, these some the politicians want votes. Around. They take their yeah. they take their votes and they say thank you very much and they protect them. Um, exactly. And you're seeing that especially in the big you know big liberal cities like New York and Los Angeles, San Francisco oh, also. Um, it's it's terrible. Um, And, you know, we've talked a lot about immigration on this program because um, MS-13 finally is being put in the forefront. But where the hell have they been all these years? They've been here since the 70s. And they come up to the U.S.-Mexico border. And like you said, they sell opioids to our people. There's a big Mm -hmm. opioid epidemic and heroin, and that's going to our kids. Um, They rape people. It's honestly, it is – there are a lot of issues that I don't think we'd be talking about if President Trump wasn't the president, that's, you know, that includes I immigration. I agree. No, no, Neil, I agree with you 100%. And, and it's so funny because I was having this conversation with a couple of my friends. And we were like, we all knew these kind of issues, you know. But if we, we all knew the issues that we're talking about. But it was never blown up if President, if Trump wasn't our president. Yeah. And I'm so freaking happy that he is our president because, I mean, look. Like, do I, I'm not going to lie, do I agree with every little thing that President Trump does? I, I, I don't. Um, but do I agree with the majority of it and the things that matter? Yes, I do. Yeah. And it's like, I think that having, uh, you know, Trump as, as our president is probably one of the best things that, that has happened to America for the past few years. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, listen, the last eight years, we've seen a precipitous decline, whether it be the economy whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, given uh, harboring criminal legal aliens, um, whether it be, you know, a national security, given billions of dollars to uh, the larger state sponsor of terror um, and treating our veterans. And, you know, you're a veteran and you served our country. And one thing that I am that that I was very proud of President Trump and doing and, you know, since he announced his candidacy and um, I, I love the way he always um, made a point in his speech to um, to thank our veterans um, who yes. do not get – you don't get enough praise. Like I had a, a Vietnam veteran. I talked to a Vietnam vet – was it two weeks ago now? And he said – and I did not even ask him. In fact, no words needed to be said about Trump at all. He went out of his way to say people do not – we don't feel supported. Um, they certainly didn't support those that came back from Vietnam. Now you have all the anti-war rhetoric about those that are currently serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, two people died today, um, or at least it was reported that two people died um, in Afghanistan. And we're seeing it more and more. People don't realize we still have a war going on uh, with an enemy we can't define. And he said, listen, we can't – we do not get the respect we deserve. And you have all these people, these snowflakes I talk about, who, um, you know, do not have respect for our flag. They burn the flag. They don't have respect for the country, and they don't respect our president. And it's really sickening, and it must be a slap in the face for someone like you who served our country to keep us free, that we have our First Amendment rights because you protect our country. I mean, oh, like, it, it, it makes my blood boil. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't blame you. It makes, 
You know, I, I agree with that veteran. Um, I feel like veterans don't get the support uh, that veterans need. And, you know, Neil, I, I know that I served. Um, my heart goes out to um, obviously the people that are still serving. Um, but like those veterans that served in World War II, you know, that those mm. really old, old veterans. The greatest I mean, generation. come on. Yeah, they, they, they're the reasons why. They, they are legitimately the reason why America is... Well, America's kind of shit right now, let's be honest. But I mean, the reason why we have this freedom. Yeah. You know, and so for these stupid, stupid, ignorant people to be bashing on veterans and to be burdened in America, my God, no one is forcing you to live in America. If you fucking hate America that much, go leave. Yeah, go to leave. Canada. You're, yeah, you're With not your leaving for. Yeah, you're not leaving for a good damn reason. And I actually posted on Instagram. I said, hey, you know, have you ever noticed that people who say that when Trump becomes president, they're going to leave America? Why haven't they left yet? Why haven't they left yet? Because they know that America is the best country to live in. That's why. Yeah, of course. And President Trump's going to make it better, and I really, truly believe that. When you look at the priorities and the agenda, I really fervently <sighs> believe in him. And that's why, listen, I did not say I support, I support Trump in the beginning. I did not say that until I was being called all these vicious names from the very tolerant left. <laughs> Um, you know, that were calling me all these names saying, oh, well, you're a Republican. Yeah. And I and so I say, you know what? Screw everybody. And I think it was like July uh, around the time of the convention. They say, you know what? Screw everybody. I support Trump. And I'm not going to. Why am I going to hide that? Because I really care about this country. My my loyalty is not to, you know, elitist. My loyalty is not to the world. I feel that my loyalty is to the United States and that. I don't want to leave the country. I don't want to go to Europe where there's, you know, massive terror threat and the yeah, State Department's yeah. warning against go travel. I don't want to go anywhere but this country. And I truly want this country to be greater than ever. And I believe that Trump, yeah. who's working for us for free, okay, you got to remember that. Right? He doesn't need this. And he exactly. Is, and he is such a workaholic. He wants to work for us. Exactly. Exactly. And it baffles my mind when they're like, oh, yeah, Trump's stealing money from America. I, number one, where are you getting your information? Yeah. You know, because he, like you said, he's working for us for free. Like he's, you mean, Donald Trump does not need to work. Let's be honest. Like, no, he's 70 years he, old. He could be living at Mar-a-Lago with Melania exactly. and relax. Uh, did you see that interview from like a long, long time ago? And um, he said that, and someone asked him, are you, will, are you ever going to run for president in the future? And he said, uh, I don't know, but if America needs me, I will run for president. Yeah, I did think he said that, that to Oprah. Yeah. Oh, did he? I, I, I forget who he I said that to. I think it was Oprah, but yeah, he, he said that. and um, Exactly. He was always involved in politics because he had to work. <laughs> and the funny part is he knows the, the corrupt side of it. And working with politicians like Hillary, like uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, like Senator Schumer – um, because as a real estate developer, he had to gain approvals and he had to give money to people and he saw how people were bought off. And he did not accept any money from big corporations. He did not accept money from Wall Street. He didn't accept money from anyone except individuals. And he really didn't even accept that money until very late on because he used his own money for most of his uh, campaign. Um, and, you know, and look at where, you know, why people, uh, Trump supporters trust him. And there are, you know, people on the left who say, well, how can you support this vile, vicious man? Well, he's very trustworthy and you can look <laughs> at it and he's been, he's been right on everything. 
uh, whether it be, you know, the people mm-hmm. coming in from Mexico, while there are some that are good people, there are rapists and drug dealers that are coming yeah. in. He's been right since day one. Yep. Um, oh, I, uh, um, it's, oh, it's, I'm like out of, like, it, it baffles me. Yeah. It, it, and, and that's why I was talking about social media. Social media, like, I, I honest to God believe that social media is behind all these crazy ideas that, that these li- liberals are, an- how do you pronounce them? Antifa? I don't, antifascist? Fascist. They call themselves anti-fascists, but, you know, the funny part is they're the ones who wanted Obama to run for a third term, which would be unconstitutional. That would be fascism. (laughs) You know, it's—I don't get it. Um, You know, I want to ask you because uh, you've been so gracious with your time. Because you're a veteran, I do want to ask you about uh, some of the veterans' issues uh, that, um, you know, obviously we talk about support. Um, I want to talk about health care in terms of veterans. President Trump um, made it a, a big part of his campaign to make sure that mm-hmm. veterans receive private care. Yes. And he signed an executive order saying that um, in extension of the choice program, then he's going to actually uh, push for legislation um, to make sure that um, – uh, well, first of all, he had also an executive order on VA accountability for those that blow the whistle on um, – are protected, those that say, listen, these are the problems that are going on. At the VA hospitals, uh-huh. and we've seen tremendous problems at VA hospitals across the country with wait times and people committing suicide oh, while waiting. My God, which yes, that's... really, I mean that that breaks my heart. Um, yeah. And President Trump wants legislation now uh, to uh, make sure that uh, veterans can go to any private hospital across the country without um, a barrier of uh, distance. They can go anywhere, receive private care, and be um, paid for by the government. If anyone deserves free health care, it's veterans. Um, what yes. is your what is your opinion on the way the VA is set up now and, you know, President Trump's proposals? I, I think it's awesome. Um, I feel like, you know, like I, like I talked, like I said before, you know, these old veterans, you know, they, when they get out, they have so many medical issues and you know, um, I don't know if I told you a story, but back when I used to live in Arizona, you know, there was these old couple um, and the man served in World War II and he would go to the pool and um, and we would always talk, but he would always have so many darn like medical issues. And I was like, hey, you know, why don't you go to the VA hospital? And, and he said, I, I, you know, I called in and, you know, number one, they make me, you know, wait on the phone for like three to four hours. Then the next thing you know, they say that they can't get me in for a checkup until like eight months later. So basically, they have to pay out of pocket. Is what they have to what do. What state was this? Arizona. Arizona, right? And that yes. there was a huge scandal there. Wait, a wait time scandal there uh, a couple of years mm. ago. That's criminal to me. And they don't even have the money to get private health care. I mean, I know people no. who are homeless are living at the VA. I, I know it. Uh, you know, I've, I've always had a very like even before I joined the military, like I had a heart for veterans because I'm like, you know, I didn't know anything about veterans, but I did know they served, they served the country, they yeah. served the United States of America, you know, for our freedom. So of course I'm going to respect them. But especially after, you know, I got in and then I got out and seeing all these veterans, I'm like, man, we should do everything in our power to help these people and, and to take care of them. You know, I mean, I mean, let me tell you, I mean, I'm still relatively young. So, you know, when I got out, it's kind of like, okay, I'm still young. I can still work, can still do this. But there are people who who live their entire life in the military and yeah. they get out 
And you think that it's easy to find a job? Well, let me tell you, it's not that easy to find a job. And they have so many medical issues. And for them having to wait and having horrible medical treatment, it's horrendous to me. And I've always been so baffled by it. So when President Trump came along and and um, he made a new legislation around it, like, you know, it, I was like, it's about goddamn time. <laughs> right, right. I agree with you. And, you and know, that's the reason why I. It's a no brainer. Yeah, and that's the reason why even when I said before, like, I may not agree with every little thing, but the main things that actually count, like, you know, taking care of the veterans, to me, that that not even that hits home. And it, it's finally just it's it's about goddamn time that someone does this. And I'm so happy that he did it. Yeah, I listen. Uh, finally, I mean, this should have been something that was it's done a long time so many ago. years ago. And frankly, anyone that takes advantage of a veteran, that is the most heinous thing that someone, one of the most heinous things that anyone could do is to yeah. disparage someone who served our country with, you know, with honor. Um, I told you, I believe, the story that um, uh, Rance Mangum is an Army veteran that has been on this program, and he had a um, tumor on the side of his head and wasn't told whether it was malignant or benign because he had a, you know, he had to get an MRI and they deleted his. Uh, procedures as well and meanwhile he's homeless and living at the VA now he's uh, living on his own and was trying to get a job and like you said it's very difficult he's strong as an ox okay but it's very difficult because there are people that don't trust him they they're they don't trust that he's going to be able to uh, handle their equipment and he's like I've handled millions of dollars worth of you know military weaponry okay yeah. I think I can handle a truck um, and this is the attitude of some people, that they're so smug that they cannot trust someone who served our country. And then, you know, the yeah. tumor, he didn't find that was benign until after we did a report on him, a video report. And because it got to someone at the VA, did they expedite his process because they were afraid that um, that we were going to have some sort of scandal or they were going to have a scandal. And so then they expedited his claims. There should be – I mean, listen, there are great people that work at the VA that I've met. But the bureaucracy that slows things down uh, mm -hmm. is that is criminal. Okay, and they need to yeah. they need to get their act together. I I agree, and I I think that you know it, it sucked that it happened, but I think that's why it's so important to have like voices like yours, for instance, um, because I think that without your voice and without your podcast and your business. You know, who knows? He might have never gotten the care that he needed in the first place. Yeah, that that scares me because it's not like the mainstream media is doing a report on him. It's, you know, I'm doing something online and and then it gets, you know, that's how they they um, fix it, uh, fix it up. But if it went to the mainstream media, holy crap, would there be a uh, would there be a huge problem? But here's the here's the deal. It that should be the type of story that is covered and they're not doing. Yeah. Instead, they just want to go after our president. Um I, I want to ask no. you, what what age did you go into the Air Force, and, and why did you serve? Uh, let's see. How old was I? Okay, so I was 20 years old. Um, I turned 21, like, when I was in tech school. So, like, four months into the Air Force, I turned 21. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. The reason I joined, well, number one, I wanted to take care of myself. Number two, you know, I, I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to get away from my family, yeah, from my parents. You know, I still I, I have an older you. brother. I have an older brother that I love, and that we we get along till this very day. And um, he supports you. Of course, he Good. does. Absolutely, yeah. He he's 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 literally like, I, Manuel. If it wasn't for my brother, like, 
I mean, I can tell you going on and on, but I would have probably committed suicide by, uh, when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't say that. I, I hope you always stay close with your your brother and your yeah. husband. And I'm glad that you separated yeah. from your parents. You had to. They they held you back. Yeah, and then honestly, once I joined and I saw like the camaraderie and like what the Air Force stood for, like I got really excited. I was like, oh, yeah. this is awesome! Like I'm. I'm serving my country. So that was, and so that became came your in. family. Yeah. No, seriously. Till this very day, I, I'm out now. I'm separated hundred percent, but till this very day, I still stay in contact with a lot of my friends that are still in, but like, you know, from all over the world. And, 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 and like I said, like I, after I joined is when I was like, this is amazing. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm serving my country. I'm getting to know all these amazing people from all, all around the world um and also my education was free so that's like a huge plus well, that's a huge plus <laughs> compared <laughs> to what i'm spending plus. and to be indoctrinated yeah. so um so yeah so that's the reason why i joined to get away from my parents to support myself to have my own voice and then once i joined i realized how much i appreciated you know the not only Air Force but other branches like the Marines, the Navy, the Army, the Coast Guards. So like literally the best decision, like one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life was joining the Air Force. How many years did you serve? Nine years. Nine years. And and where where did you um where were you stationed? I was at Cannon Air Force Base <laughs> um, in Clovis, New Mexico. Okay. It is one of the worst Air Force. <laughs> is it really? Why why is it? Um. <laughs> It's um because it is a very small town and there's <laughs> tumbleweeds that are the size of me and I'm four, I'm like I'm like four ten and a quarter. Really, you don't look um, that short on social media. I am so freaking short. I'm like four <laughs> ten and a quarter. Everyone makes fun of me, but no, there are tumbleweeds that are the size of me. Wow. Um, it's just horrible weather. Um, there's nothing there. Like there's legitimately nothing there. The base itself. We used to be uh, ACC, but we switched over to um, Air Force Special Operation. Okay. Uh, so basically the mission changed. So ever since the mission changed, the base got a little bit better, but still Clovis, a lot of Air Force people and other branches can acknowledge that Cannon Air Force Base is probably one of the worst Air Force Base. Hmm. Um, then actually I got out and I went, I transitioned into the reserve because I wanted to be a dentist. Okay. Um, so I transferred over to the dental field. I went to school for that. And then I did that for five, five years and I decided I didn't like it and I decided to get out. Okay. Wow. So uh, let me ask you, because there's a lot of talk that, um, you know, President Trump is um, increasing the defense budget and there and he's brought up, brought to light how dilapidated our equipment is. Did you feel that our equipment was uh, was very old, our you know Air Force <laughs> bombers and, and jets? Um, I don't know that much about jets because I was not really around jets because that okay. wasn't my job. That wasn't your job. But, what was your job? Oh wow, I had you know I got really blessed um, because I was given many opportunities. So my main job was a personalist, which is basically taking care of like paperwork, like admin okay. job. And this one time um, I was stateside deployed over to uh, Fort Bragg and Fort Bliss 
where basically um, it was a joint force operation where we prepped everyone to um, go to Iraq. And I got to do that for several months. Wow. I came back and I got selected to do protocol. Protocol is basically an event planner for commanders and generals um, for like the base and you know, for instance, I got to meet Chief Master Sergeant McKinley. He was a uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. Wow. I got to meet really awesome. Yeah, so it was a lot. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I did that for about a year and a half, and I was actually in the middle of applying to Air Force One um, when I then decided that you know I've always wanted to be a dentist, so I'm going to transition over. And then I, you know, was a dental assist, a dental technician. And yeah, and then I got out. So I had a few jobs. Gotcha. In so in the paperwork, I'm just curious because we talked about some of the dilapidated equipment on this program. You didn't really see uh, much of a problem or? Oh my goodness. Canon, like I said, is when I first got there, the base was supposed to shut down, but that's when they decided to um, change the mission um, into special ops. But uh, the equipment was way outdated um wow. the um we had a lot of exercises on base where you know just you, you know those typical exercises if, if there was a terrorist attack so we'd have like our gas masks our suits our gloves our boots just the whole nine yards um they were very outdated like it was really bad it was leaking it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the best that um and happen. also yeah no that no that can't happen i was like how it's as small as i am their small was like probably a small for someone that was six foot tall so it was kind of funny but um i forgot to mention while i was in i was security force um basically i was a cop um so like military police okay if sure. you want to call it sure yes but that was for like a special duty so like i forgot how often i do it but i had to do it like a couple of times a year um but that's when i noticed how bad the gear was mm. Um, that's terrible, like, especially with the, the threat vest. being so increased now. I mean, we need to – that's why we really need to go back to peace through strength and be able to – you know, when we have these conflicts that, you know, we don't want to get involved in, but, you know, North Korea is threatening us, Iran is firing missiles, and, you know, we need to be yeah. able to, to have the threat behind the talk and not be all talk, no action. Yeah, no um... – I really think that, I mean, I can talk about this on and on. I don't know that much about, I don't really, the air, so the military has changed a lot uh, when I was in. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm out, I still do have a lot of friends that are serving in um, the Air Force and different branches of the military. And they all tell me like how different it got and how it's not the same and how like the funding is lower. And, you know, they tell me everything about it now. I don't know that much about it just because I'm out. But over the past, like, two years, everything about the military is changing. Um, and I don't think it's for the better. I think it's for the worse. So um, I do hope that President Trump, I don't know, somehow sees what's going on and he kind of changes things and give us more funding or give them more funding. Yeah, he because, increased like said, the budget. Important. He did. He increased the budget $54 billion um, in oh, his wow. first budget. Yeah, so the defense spending, and listen, I've been critical of the of the budget. It was a $1.1 trillion uh, budget that continues to fund Planned Parenthood. It continues to fund a lot of, of Obama's <sighs> policies. But the one big part of this that thank God, uh, is that the defense spending was increased. But, you know, Republicans have to fight for the economy. They have to fight for the wall. That's going to be done in the next budget. But this is what is funding the government through September, and there was a massive defense increase, which, you know, I think is priority number one. Uh, the wall has to oh, be done yeah. as well, though. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree, and I'm, I'm glad uh, 
I, I didn't know about the um about the budget. Yeah, there needs to, I mean, listen, he said we need to uh, we need to develop new planes. We need to um, have uh, new fighter jets uh, instead of instead of repairing everything. In fact, apparently, according to some reports that there are jets are so old that they don't even have um, repair shops um, that can uh, fix the equipment because the equipment is is goes back to World War Two. Oh, wow. So, and that's I mean, listen, for someone that's serving, if you were serving for, uh, oh, I God. wouldn't. You wouldn't feel safe. No, no, absolutely not. You know, I, I have, I used to, I still have friends that work in the flight line that fixes planes and stuff like that. But you know, Air Force, I feel like has the more of an upper hand than other branches, if if that makes sense. Okay. Um. How so, so? No, I. Because I feel, I mean, still, I don't know. I'm not going to say on. <laughs> It's it's fine. Well, listen, I you have a little bit of, of a bias. You served in the Air Force, um, you know. Uh, but I but listen, the mission is all important all around. We all you know all of our yes, branches serve of course. an important mission. I want to ask you this, and then I'll let you go because you've been so generous with your time, and uh, we'll continue. I'd love to continue keeping in touch with you, and and hopefully, of course, hopefully push legislation. And I'll mention that in a second. But I I um, want to ask you. Did it ever matter to you who the commander in chief was? Like, not the politics of it, but you know, knowing whoever you know you started uh, at twenty years old. Where I guess that was uh, was that during George W. Bush's term that you were you served. Um, I think so. Okay, so you I, you were under yeah, probably Bush yeah. and Obama. What mm-hmm. I mean is there any difference of who the commander in chief is? Does that matter to the men on the ground? Men and women. Honestly, like when I was in my twenties, I never really cared for politics that much. Um, and like I said, I I, I always try to kind of like stay away from politics. Yeah. But your boss, was... though. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think it really mattered okay. to any of us. I think that the higher you go in rank, the more it matters. Um. Because I do know, um. Because when I was working retirement. I, I met a lot of um like chief mass sergeants that were retiring and. And they were telling me about how much the Air Force has changed and how it's just it's it's not the same. It's getting worse. And um, and those people have been around for like 20 plus years. So those people know the nitty gritty of, you know, what exactly is going on. And but when I was in, you know, like I made it to like staff sergeants. So we don't really we're like still in the low podium hall. So we don't really know that much. But. The higher ups definitely used to always say um, that the military is changing and is changing for the worse. Hmm. Well, hopefully we get back to uh, peace through strength, and you know I think I President so Trump can do that. Um, you can. Uh, I'm going to give out your Instagram and YouTube if you don't mind. Oh yeah, of course. So Kyung Jones, K Y U N G Jones on Instagram. And also, uh, you have your YouTube channel and, you know, people can reach out to you if you're also, um, you know, have situations and, and we'll, you know, even can connect through me. We'll try to continue to, um, to do a uh, series about sexual assault and my, my goal, and I'd like to, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure off air after this, but, um, I think in the future, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to reach out to members of Congress who are pushing some legislation, uh, Joni Ernst is uh, from Iowa, a supporter of Trump, who has been um, a a, a signatory of some sexual assault legislation, uh, as is uh, Marco Rubio and some others. 
Uh, I'm going to reach out to them, and I'm going to see, and it would be very interesting to see what their response is if I get one. Um, because oh, if they're true. truly doing a service for our country, then they're going to listen to your story. And I'm going to try to put pressure on them. And let's try to make some sort of sexual um, assault legislation, work with members, our lawmakers, to help those like you're doing through your YouTube channel. Yeah, that that'd be that that would be great. I, that that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, Grace, we'll be in touch. Uh, Kelly Jones on Instagram and YouTube, U.S. Air Force veteran. Thank you so much for spending the time for your you know cre- uh, bravery and, and being so courageous to uh, come on and and chat. And uh, God bless you. Thank you, Neil, for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Grace Jones, U.S. Air Force veteran, a remarkable story and a remarkable, courageous, and a brave woman that uh, joined us uh, on the podcast today. So grateful for that, and you can check her out, her Instagram page and her YouTube. And uh, for anyone who wants to reach out, uh, you can contact me through my website, neilacurso.com, any veterans I want to reach out and get involved, and uh, we'll try to continue to tell those stories on this program. And uh, so important that we support our veterans, and uh, that's got to be uh, top priority, and it is for the Trump administration. So we're uh, we're blessed to have her on today and uh, and talk about that and, and have some, uh, you know, a, a very strong discussion about sexual assault that uh, isn't covered uh, that fairly, uh, isn't really covered uh, well. Um, so we try to do our part, and uh, thank you so much uh, to Grace, who has uh, actually become a, uh, a friend. Uh, so I appreciate her uh, coming on. Um, coming up, I have a very strong message on the First Amendment as the bashing from the late-night TV host gets to an outrageous level. In fact, more jokes in Trump's first 100 days than in Obama's first year. And these jokes, eh, they're a little vicious. And Hillary, well, she just won't go away. More on that when we come back. The Neil Akers Show podcast on Cinco de Mayo. We are never going to let you down. And neither will Neil Acruzzo. With you every day on the Neil Acruzzo Show podcast. And Sundays at noon Eastern on the Neil Acruzzo Show. On NeilAcruzzo.com. He's the real deal. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Crusoe Show Podcast. Don't miss a moment of Neil's spiel. Subscribe to the Neil A. Crusoe Show Podcast on iTunes and log on to neilacrusoe.com.
All right, we are back on Cinco de Mayo uh, on this Friday. Uh, so, listen, Hillary Clinton, who will not go away, who, you know, blames the election on misogyny, and she blames the election on WikiLeaks and all of these uh, abstract things besides the fact that she did not campaign in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania and took regular people for granted. Um, well, the former Secretary of State now is going to publish two books in the fall. She's making a lot of money. Well, so is Obama, $400,000 per speech. Um, after railing against Wall Street, he's he's going to be making a lot of money. In fact, he made $60 million from a book deal. But Kirk and Hillary uh, will be making page speaking engagements as well. So like she used to, and like Bill Clinton was making half a million dollars from uh, other countries, um, Hillary Clinton is going to be uh, a speaker, and she has set up a new pack to launch the resistance against Trump, okay? Uh, she's just a sore loser. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, George Soros, who funded a lot of these uh, paid protests uh, that were going on during the election, not all of them were, you know, paid protesters, but a good amount of them had a lot of, uh, had, uh, you know, made up signs that obviously were not handwritten. And George Soros funded a lot of this. Uh, he is battling now a $10 billion lawsuit um, for wielding political influence. Um he is accused of meddling in the politics of not just the U.S., of a poor African country in order to sell his own, uh, settle his own scores, I should say. A charge the billionaire's critics say reflects his longtime um, M.O. And the 86-year-old uh, George Soros controls a web of international nonprofits in addition to his vast international uh, financial empire uh, used uh, to sway— uh, with the government of Guinea to freeze Israeli company BSG resources out of the West African nation's lucrative iron uh, and uh, their iron ore, I should say, mining uh, mining contracts there. Um, so this uh, lawsuit is saying that he is meddling in Africa uh, and is now battling this $10 billion lawsuit. Uh, or spokesman for Soros, who regularly supports... Um, Democratic governments in Eastern Europe and Africa and, of course, the U.S., said that Soros has a lifelong interest in helping impoverished nations and only backed a probe of the Israeli company BSG uh, out of corruption concerns. When, listen, we know he's been trying to meddle in, in the United States elections and paying a lot of people off, and this is just another charge. Uh, so I felt that it was important uh, to bring this, and listen, the guy just keeps funding these uh, lunatic protests that turn to be riots. Uh, and that's where we have to talk about the First Amendment. Um, you know, there was a study today, and you, well, you heard about all the, and you know what, I'll play this clip, okay, before we get into this conversation about the First Amendment. This is all related, because the First Amendment is so important. Free speech from anyone, from all sides. The problem is the liberals shut conservatives up, and they do it by threatening violence, that even the threat of violence on a campus like UC Berkeley will result in the administration shutting down Ann Coulter. Just the threat of it. They don't even have to do it. And then they do it anyway for fun, and they set an entire campus on fire. So great for the environment, right? 
They set the campus on fire. They throw rocks at police. They, uh, where the police had their arms tied. And they can't do anything because they're all filming. And it gets national attention and they get their message out, which is, I guess, that Trump is bad. I guess that's our only message. Uh, that's not protected free speech. Anarchy is not protected free speech. Now, you can say anything you want. Uh, of course, that's within, if it's on national TV, it's got to, you know, be under the FCC regulations and not be obscene. Uh, that's why uh, what Stephen Colbert said was bleeped out. Um, and, you know, you have now a situation where people think it is their duty to say all these nasty things and get away with it. However, they will shut up conservatives for having their opinions, and especially on college campuses, but really throughout uh, the country. And they believe that, uh, like I had that UC Berkeley student on my show last Sunday, that, you know, he said, well, some conservatives, they don't they don't have a coherent message. They shouldn't be allowed to speak. Um, so because you don't agree with them, you're shutting them up. That's basically what they're saying. So I don't believe in boycotts with the Stephen Colbert situation. Um, but listen, it has gotten so bad that pop culture has really, um, you know, has made Trump out to be such a bad person. Reality is he's not. And the reality is people rejected them and he's president. But this is a compilation. All the people that said President Trump can't win. And then at the end of it, late night television hosts as of recent because, well, they are responsible for a lot of negative, unfunny rhetoric. Uh, I believe it should be protected but I also believe it is absolutely abhorrent. Uh, here is this little compilation that we put together. President Trump, oh, he can't win. There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. <laughs> um, that's not going to happen. Donald Trump will not become president. He's not going to be president. He is not, Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Okay. I guarantee it. All right. All right. You think if he becomes the president here, make, make it great because the states is already great. I think that man will be president of the United States right about the time that spaceships come down filled with dinosaurs and red capes. On that note, Tom. <laughs> Take it Thank from me. How about that? Yes, and then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. <laughs> Donald Trump, just last week, he confirmed to the National Review that he is again considering a run in 2016. Do it. <laughs> do, do it. Look, look at me. Do it. I will personally write you a campaign check now on behalf of this country, which does not want you to be president, but which badly wants you to run. So when you stand and deliver that State of the Union address, in no part of your mind or brain can you imagine Donald Trump standing up one day and delivering a State of the Union address? Well, I can imagine it uh, in a Saturday night skit. I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. He will never be president of the United States. And uh, we better be ready for the fact that he might be leading the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. Okay, here we are. And which Republican candidate has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> I, 
And so, right now, Mr. Trump, to answer your call for political honesty, I just want to say, you're not going to be president, all right? It's been fun. It's been great. I love you. But, but, but come on, come on, buddy. All, let's say, cow poo-poo aside, there is zero chance we'll be seeing you being sworn in on the Capitol steps with your hand on a giant golden Bible. I'll make a prediction, though, for you. And I, I don't really get into predictions much, but this one I'll go way out on a limb. Donald Trump will never, ever be president okay. of the United States. The Trump should not be in this race. He's an absurdity. He is a travesty. Donald Trump will never be elected president of the United States. Donald Trump is a here today, gone tomorrow candidate for president of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Uh, ever respectful of the fact that the people have not voted, he's not going to be president of the United States. Let's be clear. Donald Trump will lose the election. I mean, he had a really good chance to be different and really have a chance to change things, but yeah. he, he doesn't do the work. He's lazy. We talk about him every day, and we continuously he's bash him. He's not going to be the president. Don't worry about it. <laughs> to be a wake-up call to the Republican Party. Uh, despite Boris thinking that Donald Trump could win New York, like this, the, the presidential race is over. It just, just, could I just cut through? I have one thing to say, one thing only. And that is that this race is over. Tomorrow morning, the money will dry up. The Republicans will start to hide. Trump has no place to go. This race, effectively, as of tonight, is no longer a presidential race. I will get, I mean, everything I know about presidential politics, and I've been through five of them. I've never seen one like this. This race is over. You might as well accept it. And the question now is, how do you minimize damage? And the only way you can do that, it seems to me, is to try to grab hold of some old conservative value things and do what Mondale did in 84, which is try to save a few people down ballot. But as far as Donald Trump's concerned, it will never, ever, ever happen. President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point, at real Donald Trump. <laughs> well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. Sir, you attract more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. The guy who has three oil paintings of himself in his bathroom wants to cut the National Endowment for the Arts. We got McMaster. We got McMaster. We're even teaming up with McDonald's to release a new burger in his honor called the McMaster. Mr. Trump, your presidency, I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. He doesn't stand by anything except the dressing room door at Miss USA pageant. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. Yeah, so that's some of the reaction and all of the hilarity. Oh, Trump is a joke. Trump is this. He's now the president, okay? And the jokes that are coming out of late night TV as of late, well, there's been over 1,060 jokes delivered by some of the leading late night TV talk show hosts. It's honestly not funny. A lot of the jokes are um, 
are, are really not jokes. They're pretty serious statements. You have Kimmel crying the other night, which, listen, I took it seriously. I think that he has uh, uh, certainly uh, a right to talk about his son there. I think he used him as a political prop, to be honest with you. Uh, but they've gotten so political. We need to get back to the point where comedy is funny again, okay? 1,060 jokes delivered by the late-night TV host, which is more than his recent predecessors attracted during their entire first year in office. This according to a new study from the Center for Media and Public Affairs at George Mason University. They calculated that the, that the jokes for Barack Obama in his first 100 days uh, were... 936, actually throughout 2009, not just his first uh, 100 days. Throughout his first year, Obama drew only 936 jokes from the top late-night TV hosts. George W. Bush, 546 in his first year. And Bill Clinton inspired 440 jokes in 1993. Now, by the time President Trump's first year is up, he's on track to easily eclipse the most jokes told about a president in recent years. The current record holder is Bill Clinton, who attracted 1,717 one-liners and quips in 1998, which is a year dominated by the news of the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal and Clinton's impeachment. He probably deserved it. Um, however, okay, 1,717 uh, jokes in one year that Bill Clinton was impeached, and President Trump is already at, out 1,060 in 100 days. Okay, now listen. Comedy is supposed to be funny, but now late-night TV hosts are taking unfunny and disrespectful shots at our commander-in-chief. The epidemic is a now record-setter. It's going to approach a record for most jokes against a sitting president. In fact, more quote-unquote jokes have been made against President Trump in his first 100 days, as you see, way more than former President Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton and their entire first years in office. The unfunny political rhetoric from these self-proclaimed funny men is unoriginal, and it is the epitome of Hollywood snobbery and elitism. We should be able to poke fun at people, including our president, while maintaining respect for our country and our president and personal and professional dignity. They clearly don't care about their personal dignity or they wouldn't be making these ridiculous and disgusting jokes, especially Stephen Colbert on tele on CBS, which is a broadcast network lecturing and indoctrinating people on politics by anyone, but especially comedians for which laughter is their role is inappropriate. While these comedians do have a first amendment right to say whatever they like, as long as it doesn't violate the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, regulations on obscenity, which is why the crude and homophobic phrase, you know, I'm not even going to say it, blank holder, was bleeped by CBS and The Late Show uh, with Stephen Colbert. These network hosts should be above the vile pop culture rhetoric that was largely rejected on November 8th by blue-collar, hard-working American patriots who were fed up with all the award shows and all the disgusting rhetoric that was slung at them. They were called every name in the book. We were called every name in the book by these Hollywood snobs. Now, viewers, you can always change the channel. I don't watch late night TV anymore. I rather watch, you know, certain other shows or, frankly, listen to the radio and go to bed. 
So you can always change the channel. But free speech, and this is where you may be surprised where I stand on this, free speech by all should always be celebrated in the United States of America. Now, of course, without the violence or threat of violence in our streets, but I don't see any conservatives rioting and setting our property on fire and throwing rocks at police officers because of these truly repulsive, atrocious, offensive, obscene, abominable, obnoxious, and hateful speech from late-night talk show hosts and others. And while it's protected, I don't see conservatives rioting. That's only reserved for the liberals. Now, I believe free speech should be for all, and it shouldn't just be um, for uh, one side or another. Just because I don't agree with someone, I believe that boycotting advertisers is not the answer, especially when liberals make that the first step of action to silence conservative speakers. Like I said, free speech is applicable to all people regardless of political ideology. And as we know, many, especially college campus administrators and students, like a UC Berkeley student I interviewed on Sunday, believe conservative speakers do not offer anything of value. So according to liberal activists, conservatives should be silenced. Now, First Amendment rights also apply to the president. And this week, um, after President Trump, or last week after he um, finished his 100, first 100 days in office, the campaign, uh, which is gearing up for the second term and, you know, not really having to do with uh, uh, Trump did not, uh, you know, he approved of it. But obviously the campaign is a separate organization, not related necessarily to the White House. This is the campaign ad that was supposed to air across TV networks, but was shut down. Donald Trump sworn in as president 100 days ago. America has rarely seen such success. A respected Supreme Court justice confirmed. Companies investing in American jobs again. America becoming more energy independent. Regulations that kill American jobs eliminated. The biggest tax cut plan in history. You wouldn't know it from watching the news. America is winning and President Trump is making America great again. I'm Donald Trump and I approve this message. Okay, so this was that was the campaign advertisement that was supposed to air on all the television networks. CNN became the first network to shut this down because they didn't agree with the fake news charge. It was on the screen when he says not, you know, what uh, you wouldn't hear from, from the news outlets. Uh, it says fake news over some of the anchors' uh, uh, headshots. You are fake news. And, well, listen, you wouldn't know. I, we go over the big league jobs. You would not know about all of the successes of the Trump campaign and the first 100 days of action unless we talked about it. Now, while I may not agree with everything, most things and getting people back to work, which is what people care about, proposing tax reform that hasn't been enacted since 1986 and uh, slashing taxes and then cutting regulations that are killing jobs and undoing the mess of the last eight years and finally, finally putting our interests first, among other actions that I could go into and in nominating and accomplishing a Supreme Court justice confirmed on the Supreme Court in Justice Neil Gorsuch, which was a big voting point as seen in the exit polls on November 8th. So... CNN pulled it because of the fake news charge. Because, God forbid, President Trump says that. So, frankly, it's a form of censorship. And then ABC, CBS, and NBC uh, also now is blocking this campaign ad uh, in silencing President Trump's First Amendment rights. 
Our guaranteed right of free speech also applies to President Trump and any president or any public figure who is permitted, yes, he is permitted, to respond to his critics publicly and on Twitter. The First Amendment should be celebrated by all Americans, whether one agrees or disagrees with someone. And to that point, the U.S. media should be beacons of First Amendment rights for all, even in a campaign advertisement that criticizes the media's coverage of the president in his first 100 days. Because as we went over, they laughed at him, they mocked him, and they frankly still continue to underestimate him, and they're not covering him fairly, and they're not covering the issues that matter. Now, mainstream media outlets, namely CNN, NBC, ABC, and CBS, have pulled a campaign advertisement from their networks because it criticizes some media coverage, not all, but some of the news coverage of the White House as, quote, fake news. Now, if you're going to dish it out, you have to be able to take the criticism as well. But I guess our egos are so delicate. Free speech is one of the truly important freedoms that was granted to us by this nation's founding fathers, and we must fight to keep that freedom alive. And that is the podcast for today and for the rest of the week. Uh, no show on Sunday, but we will be back with the podcast on Monday, back with the show next Sunday. Uh, so, good show today. Thank you so, so much to Kyung Jones, uh, Grace Jones, the uh, U.S. Air Force veteran, coming on the program today. Just a uh, remarkable person. And... Uh, you know, we need to fight for our veterans every day. We need to fight for freedom. And we can't let these anarchists take control of our country. Uh, they don't represent the majority of Americans. President Trump is someone who is going to fight for us, and we need to fight for our own rights. Uh, thank you so much to Grace for coming on today. And uh, we will continue to talk to her and hopefully make some change. That is the goal, to make a difference and make America great again. Do your part. Have a good weekend. And we'll talk to you back here on the podcast on Monday. God bless you, and God bless America. The Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.